Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, November 4th, 2022, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Scott Wallace. And I'm Melissa Topshire with today's headlines. Pakistan's most popular politician survives an assassination attempt. The Security Council rejects Russia's call for a Ukraine bioweapon probe. Patel is granted immunity to testify against Trump. Biden says democracy is on the midterm ballot. Corporate America is playing it safe in their midterm funding. A Myanmar opposition politician is sentenced to 173 years. A Russian protester and family is stripped of citizenship. Bank of England warns of the longest recession ever. And World Heritage Site glaciers will reportedly disappear by 2050. Our first story comes from Pakistan, where Imran Khan was shot in a reported assassination attempt. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Associated Press, The Guardian, Reuters, and Dawn. Former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan was shot in the leg when a gunman opened fire at his anti-government protest convoy in Wazirabad in the eastern province of Punjab on Thursday, according to multiple reports. Khan, who chairs the Pakistan Tariqe Insaf, or PTI, political party, was reportedly injured alongside several members and supporters of his group. They were taking part in the so-called Long March from Lahore to Islamabad, calling on the Pakistani government to hold early elections. Footage of the attack showed Khan atop a truck with several of his party members and supporters when several shots could be heard. Moments later, a suspected shooter can be seen being wrestled to the ground by a bystander. A suspect has been arrested and a video recorded by police appears to show him confessing, saying he acted alone and intended to kill Khan. Khan was rushed to a hospital in Lahore and was reported to be safe and not in any life-threatening condition. Police later confirmed one dead and at least seven people, including Khan, injured. The victim was identified as Muzam Nawaz. Several supporters of Khan described the attack as an assassination attempt, while Pakistan's current prime minister, Shabazz Sharif, condemned the shooting in the strongest words and called for an immediate investigation. All right, on this program, we separate the spin from the facts. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, beginning with Narrative A, provided by the News International. The right to peacefully protest is a cornerstone of democracy, and regardless of what side you stand on, violence should have no place in Pakistan's politics. It's time for a swift investigation to hold those responsible accountable and prevent a repeat attack. And here's Narrative B from Dawn. Khan's relentless onslaught of the state has shown him to be undeterred by the prospect of martial law or a bloody revolution and willing to take extreme measures in his quest to regain power. While nothing justifies this violent attack, unchecked hubris could be his downfall. It remains to be seen whether he will reconsider the links he's willing to go in order to achieve his aims. And now our daily roundup of the conflict in Ukraine as we reach day 253 of the fighting, where the IAEA is saying there's no evidence of a dirty bomb and the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is again disconnected from the grid. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by Reuters, the Associated Press, Pravda, U.S. News & World Report, and Ukraine Forum. 
The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, stated on Thursday that no signs of undeclared nuclear activity had been found at three Ukrainian sites inspected at the request of Kyiv. The inspections came following accusations, without evidence, from Moscow that Ukraine plans on using a so-called dirty bomb, a conventional bomb laced with radioactive material. Samples taken from the sites have been sent for further analysis. This comes as the UN Security Council on Wednesday voted to reject a call from Russia to launch an official probe into allegations that Ukraine and the U.S. are carrying out military biological activities in violation of international conventions. Only China voted in favor of the probe alongside Russia. The U.S., U.K., and France voted against, while all 10 non-permanent members of the council abstained. According to reports from Ukraine's state-owned energy company Energoatom, shelling near the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP, again disconnected the facility from Ukraine's power grid, forcing it to rely on backup diesel generators. On Thursday, Energoatom said Russian authorities planned to reconnect the ZNPP to the power grid in the occupied regions of Donbas and annexed Crimea. Elsewhere, as Russia re-entered the Black Sea grain deal, the country's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, called on the UN to help fulfill the parts of the deal intended to ease Russia's food and fertilizer exports. Lavrov told attendees at a news conference in Jordan, We still do not see any results regarding a second aspect, the removal of obstacles to the export of Russian fertilizers and grain. On the ground, renewed Russian attacks were reported in the regions of Sumy, Kharkiv, and Dnipopetrovsk where energy infrastructure in President Volodymyr Zelensky's hometown of Krivi Ri was among the targets. There were no reports of civilian casualties at this stage. However, in the past day, Ukrainian officials said four civilians were killed and five were injured in Donetsk. Two were killed and seven injured in Kharkiv, and four civilians were injured in Kherson. They added that the bodies of four civilians who'd been killed earlier were also discovered in Donetsk, Meanwhile, officials from the Donetsk People's Republic said three civilians were killed and two more were injured in Ukrainian attacks in the region over the last 24 hours. Thank you for those facts, Scott. The pro-establishment narrative spin comes from the New York Times and says Russia's allegations of a so-called dirty bomb are transparently false. The claims are a ploy being utilized by the Kremlin to justify a drastic escalation of the war. And TASS brings us the establishment critical narrative. Russia has collected evidence to back up its claims that Ukraine is plotting a dirty bomb, which it is prepared to provide to Western countries. These allegations must be taken seriously. And there's a nerd narrative on this story as well from the folks at Metaculus, saying there's a 3% chance that Russia will be removed from the UN Security Council by 2024. Scott, can you imagine your hometown being bombed and destroyed? I was just I, I would I would I wonder not being an expert on on Ukraine even a little bit, is that some sort of strategically important town or is it like like my hometown of Terryville, Connecticut, they bombed just because to get to get to me or something, you know? Right, that's a an interesting point. Yeah, are they just trying to get to Zelensky or is it a big hometown? <laughs> I can't imagine Richmond, Virginia just destroyed, although it has been before. Well, the capital of the Confederacy. I'm sure you're very proud about that. Oh, God. 
Prosecutors have reportedly granted immunity to Kosh Patel, a close associate of former President Trump, so he can testify before the federal grand jury investigating the handling of classified documents at the Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence. Previously, a federal judge had told the Department of Justice it couldn't compel Patel's testimony without granting him protection. Now, Patel, who served as a national security and defense official in the Trump administration and was one of Trump's representatives to the National Archives and DOJ in this case, can't be prosecuted using information acquired from his upcoming testimony. Patel appeared before the grand jury in October, but invoked his Fifth Amendment right to avoid self-incrimination several times. He claimed in media interviews that he personally saw Trump declassify the records before leaving office, but Trump's lawyers have yet to argue that position in the former president's defense. This case surrounds the 11,000 government documents seized during an FBI search of Mar-a-Lago on August 8th. More than 100 of those records were reportedly labeled as classified. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a pro-Trump narrative from the New York Post. This investigation is just part of the never-ending witch hunt by Democrats and Biden's DOJ to try to persecute Trump. Patel is on record saying the documents were declassified, and he was there when it happened. As president, Trump had this power without going through any procedures. There shouldn't be any testimony, so immunity is the very least the DOJ could do for Patel. And the Democratic narrative comes from the Daily Kos. If what Patel said in interviews about Trump's declassifying of the documents is true, he surely won't mind repeating it under oath. Of course, the odds are his answer will change once he's compelled to testify, just like Trump's lawyers haven't argued the declassification angle because they know it's a lie. Melissa, it's on my bucket list someday to plead the fifth. Oh, that would be that would be like in a a big one for me. Important setting. Well, I mean, ideally, but it may be as I wind down my years, I'll be in traffic court and have to just plead the fifth just to get it off my bucket list. I don't know. <laughs> yes, because that the traffic incident was way too important for you. To I'm afraid I can't yourself. incriminate myself. I take the yeah. fifth. Yes, I will pay the $22 ticket. Well, fingers crossed for you, Scott. Thank you. I know you got it in you. Your support means everything in this difficult time. Biden says democracy is on the ballot in the upcoming U.S. midterm elections. Here are the facts as agreed upon by the Financial Times, Al Jazeera, and the Associated Press. With the U.S. midterm elections around the corner, President Biden delivered a speech on Wednesday warning of what he deems an unprecedented threat to American democracy. Speaking at the Democratic National Committee in Washington, D.C., Biden stated that several GOP candidates have signaled their intent to deny the November 8th results if they lose. He made particular mention of what he called ultra-MAGA Republicans, a reference to former President Trump's Make America Great Again slogan, and last Friday's attack on House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband. The address emphasized that this is the first federal election since the January 6th Capitol riot, with Biden urging voters to dismiss candidates who have denied the 2020 presidential election results. This comes amid claims of an increase in voter intimidation, with at least five people having been charged with federal crimes for harassing workers during early voting, which has seen more than 27 million people vote so far. According to an October poll by the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, 9% of Americans believe democracy is working extremely or very well, while 52% surveyed reported it's not working well. 
Thank you, Scott. We've got several spins on the matter. The Republican narrative comes from the Daily Wire. Biden's speech, a painful regurgitation of his September primetime address, is nothing more than an 11th-hour plea ahead of his party's inevitable loss in the upcoming elections. Unable to abate voters' concerns regarding real issues that America faces, the president has resorted to his overused tactics of fear-mongering, a divisive tool at a time when unity is needed. And the Democratic narrative comes from NewsBud. The president's remarks, which come on the heels of the attack on Pelosi's husband, is a much-needed caution to an alarming number of GOP representatives who've signaled their intent not to accept the midterm's results if they lose. With the unabating shadow from the January 6th attack ever-present, Biden is making it clear that another such insurrection won't be tolerated. And there's a nerd narrative from Metaculus. There's a 50% chance that Democrats will hold at least 49 seats in the U.S. Senate after the 2022 midterm elections. Data shows that corporate America is playing it safe as the U.S. midterms approach. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Axios, Bloomberg, and The Guardian. Corporate America appears to be playing it safe in the upcoming U.S. midterms, with recent data showing that incumbents and sitting federal office holders are raking in Political Action Committee, or PAC, money at a far faster clip than their challengers. Federal Election Committee data provided by Open Secrets shows that seven incumbents in the nation's 10 most competitive Senate contests, five Democrats and two Republicans, are significantly outraising their challengers in terms of corporate PAC and trade association donations. Pennsylvania's Senate contest has defied this pattern, however, as corporate donations to both GOP candidates Mehmet Oz and Democratic candidate John Fetterman have been relatively meager. If Republicans, who are typically ideological supporters of low taxation and limited government intervention in the economy, come to power in these midterms, their agenda could reshape the fiscal landscape in the U.S. The loss of a majority in either governmental chamber could also burden the Democrats' contrary aims to increase taxes and implement alternative energy sources. Next week's midterm elections are expected to usher in a new era of divided government under Biden's presidency, with polls suggesting that Democrats will lose control of the House and possibly also the Senate. Thanks for those facts on this highly political story, Melissa, which has generated some highly political narratives. Let's start with the Democratic spin from The Guardian. These midterms come as one-third of the nation is struggling amid a cost-of-living crisis. Now is not the time to worry about corporate America. Trump's 2017 tax cuts are on track to cost more than $2.2 trillion over the next decade, and all the while Republicans are pledging to grow an already obscene Pentagon budget. The richest nation in the world should instead look to support the poor and low-income Americans in material and moral needs. And here's the Republican narrative from Bloomberg. Although Democrats might feel that their agenda is supporting Americans, in reality, their reckless policies are undermining corporate America and weakening the economy for working people. A timely ushering in of GOP economic policy through these midterms could help slow inflation and expand the U.S. energy independence. And we have another statistics-based nerd narrative. This one says there's an 85% chance that Republicans will win control of the U.S. House of Representatives in 2022. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. Melissa, I was watching Survivor last night because I'm really cool. And uh, <laughs> the, there was so many, I live in the state of Pennsylvania, and there were the political commercials were so hot and heavy. 
there were entire commercial breaks that were only political commercials for either Oz or Fetterman back to back to Mm. back and making it even more confusing short commercials. Like they bought like 10 second spots, a 30 second spot for Fetterman, then like a 10 second spot for Oz, then a 20 second spot for Fetterman, then like two 10 second spots for Oz. And they're all negative. It's just Oz operates on small puppies. Vote Oz because this like, wait a minute, what? Like, <laughs> you know, Fetterman's going to let every criminal out of jail and they're going to murder everyone. And it's Fetterman's like, the greatest guy ever. Like, wait a minute, what? It was hard to even pull anything apart from it, which maybe that's the idea. A woman from the United States is sentenced to 20 years for leading an ISIS battalion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Telegraph, Guardian, BBC News, NBC News, and Al Jazeera. A Kansas woman who led an all-female ISIS battalion in Syria was sentenced to 20 years in prison and 25 years of supervised release on Tuesday, the maximum sentence allowed by law. Allison Fluke Ekrin, 42, pleaded guilty to providing material support to a terrorist network earlier this year. She has also admitted to heading a battalion that taught around 100 women and girls to use automatic weapons and detonate grenades and suicide belts. Some of the girls were reportedly as young as 10. Fluke Ekrin participated in terrorist acts in Iraq and Libya over an eight-year period and pleaded guilty to the charges in June. Two of her children, both now adults, also testified against her. Her son alleged that she tried to convince him to travel from the U.S. to Syria to prevent him from providing information to American authorities. Meanwhile, her daughter told the court she was severely abused by the defendant who allegedly coerced her into marrying an ISIS fighter. Prosecutor Raj Parekh said that Fluke Ekrin had repeatedly lied to the U.S. government and refused to cooperate in investigations. She could have been a goldmine of intelligence, he added. Thank you, Scott, for laying down the facts on that story. Narrative A comes from The Guardian. Fluke Ekrin was an ISIS empress who abused her children, committed terrorist acts abroad, and even planned attacks on U.S. soil. The fact that she is being punished to the full extent of the law is a victory for justice. And Narrative B comes from Foreign Policy. While a win, too much focus on punishing one individual for their extremism and atrocities won't help Western nations with the pragmatic steps they need to take to protect themselves from further terrorism. Nations in Europe and America must mitigate radicalization at home by building more inclusive and well-integrated societies. In news from Myanmar, an ex-politician is sentenced to 173 years. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, ABC, Fox News, and The Telegraph. A court in military-ruled Myanmar has handed a former politician for the deposed National League of Democracy, or NLD, a 148-year prison sentence, meaning alongside previous convictions, Win Mint Hlaing will hypothetically spend a total of 173 years in prison. The sentence is believed to be the longest given to any member of ousted leader Aung San Suu Kyi's former government and party after the military takeover in February 2021. Suu Kyi, arrested on the day of the coup, has already been sentenced to 26 years for several convictions. According to a person familiar with the legal proceeding, Hlaing was found guilty of eight offenses under the Counterterrorism Act, having already been sentenced to 25 years on five charges involving alleged incitement and terrorism. 
Elected to the local parliament of Magway in 2015, Klang was not part of the 2020 election, though he did take part in anti-military protests before being arrested in Yaksok Township in November 2021. A statement from the NLD in May claimed 917 party officials and members had been arrested and the military had detained a further 701. Political trials in Myanmar are closed events, so evidence used to convict officials isn't public. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. We have a pro-establishment narrative from Amnesty International. The military regime has only continued to crack down on those who oppose it, attacking civilians and restricting fundamental human rights from anyone who attempts to challenge their illegitimate authority. Hlang and Su Kyi are among many who've been detained, not by an objective rule of law, but to fulfill this effort. Change must occur and Myanmar must be freed from the violent military government. And there's an establishment critical narrative from the global new light of Myanmar. Extremist NLD members are guilty of inciting civil unrest alongside terrorist organizations in an attempt to undermine the State Administration Council, which is temporarily in charge of the county, according to the 2008 Constitution. Myanmar and the international community must collectively fight such terrorism, which is unacceptable in any society. A Russian protester and their family are stripped of citizenship. Here are the facts, as agreed upon by the Associated Press, the Moscow Times, ABC News, Washington Post, and Al Jazeera. After five months of legal proceedings, a Russian judge in a Moscow region court ruled on Monday that prominent anti-war and climate activist Arshak Mikishan's citizenship is invalid, along with that of his father and two brothers. The decision to strip the Armenian-born Miki Chan and his relatives of their Russian nationality and render them stateless comes after a court ruled last week that they gave false information when applying for citizenship. Miki Chan's application was made as a 10-year-old in 2004. Miki Chan, dubbed Russia's lone climate activist for his solo protests on Moscow's Pushkin Square and who is currently living in Germany in exile, is a fierce critic of Russia's role in the Ukraine war. According to his lawyer, Olga Potaplalova, the judge committed to a very serious violation of Russian law by not announcing the verdict immediately after the hearing, instead reporting it by phone the next day. Since the ruling doesn't take effect until the conclusion of the appeals process, his family can remain in Russia. While Miki Chan's German visa is valid until the end of the year, he doesn't intend to ask for asylum, but is hopeful that European politicians may help him. Multiple Russian businessmen have also renounced their citizenship in protest of Russia's action in Ukraine, including tech company Revolut co-founder Nikolay Storonsky and billionaire tech investor Yuri Milner. Those are the facts. Three spins on this story. We'll start with the anti-Russia narrative from Open Democracy. Though millions of Russians are opposed to the Ukraine war, Michikan's public protests were a rare sight, especially since Putin decided to invade Ukraine and criminalize dissent. This is another example of Russia's Soviet-style crackdown, aimed at instilling fear in those who oppose the regime. And Balkan Insight brings us the pro-Russian narrative. The West may claim that Mikichan is a victim of a uniquely Russian form of suppression, but other countries revoke dual citizenship status for taking a pro-Russia stance in the Ukraine war. Moldova, for example, has threatened its Russian dual citizens with prison time or citizenship revocation if they choose to fight for Russia. And the nerd narrative from the Metaculous community says there's a 50% chance that at least 21,300 Russian citizens will be arrested for participating in anti-war protests before 2023. 
You know, what stuck out to me was the um, the defense lawyer claiming that the judge didn't uh, report the verdict immediately after, but uh, by phone the next day, I just imagined him like texting like, oh, my bad, forgot, forgot verdict. <laughs> Here it is. <laughs> Whenever the regular procedure isn't followed, it always makes me suspicious about like anything. Like, wh- why didn't he say it that day? What's what's the problem? He was just busy. Yeah, he's know? a busy guy. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm a judge. Think of how much Uncle Phil had his hands full with the with the fresh prince. You I mean like oh, if you're a judge, Uncle you have a Phil. lot to worry about. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, Uncle Phil was yourself. also the voice of Shredder in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. Oh, I didn't know that. Good for him. Well, now he you was know. rocking the late 80s. Oh, major 90s. checks coming in. Yeah, Fresh Prince, too. That's a big one. Yeah, it's a big one. But there's a reason why you don't see some of these people in anything else, because they're just rolling in dough. Right. Done. In our penultimate story today, the Bank of England warns of the longest recession ever. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The National, Axios, ABC, Yahoo Finance, and the National Institute of Economic and Social Research. While announcing another interest rate hike from 2.25% to 3% on Thursday, the Bank of England warned that the UK faces its worst recessions since records began in the 1920s. Treasury head Jeremy Hunt now faces calls to explain how homeowners should deal with the 0.75% increase, the highest single rate increase since 1979, amid reported concerns that their mortgage payments could breach more than 40% of their gross salary. According to the UK's National Institute of Economic and Social Research, variable mortgage rates are set to double if the central bank's rate hits 5%, which could raise the average variable rate from 500 pounds to over 1,000 pounds. Around 30,000 households could see monthly rates become greater than their monthly incomes. Though the Bank of England's forecast says the UK is already in a recession that could last until 2024, BOE head Andrew Bailey said that he thinks rates won't go as high as markets have braced for, adding, it means that rates of new fixed-term mortgages should not need to rise as they have done. Inflation has cooled some since its August peak, but food prices jumped 14.6% in the year through September, and mortgage rates are up to a 6.5% average compared to 2% last year. Although the bank predicts the recession will be the longest on record, it's expected to bring a milder 2.9% economic decline compared to the 6.3% decline seen after the 2008 crash. Thanks for those facts, Melissa. The establishment critical narrative comes from iNews. Previous rate hikes haven't improved the financial environment for buyers and savers, so the Bank of England's claim that it's raising rates to improve the situation rings hollow. With the price of goods outpacing people's pensions and savings accounts, and now these rate hikes making it nearly impossible to pay off home loans, it appears the BOE is intent on following bad policy with something worse. And the pro-establishment narrative comes from unbiased. Rate hikes by the central bank in the UK, as in the US, are necessary and are slowly working to cool the economy. Prospective homebuyers may have to wait to buy a house in the short term, but it's more important right now to tackle inflation with these rate raises. I'm concerned for the big credit card companies and if they're going to be able to rip us off as much as they're used to. Back when the rates were near zero, rip-off credit cards were still like 20-30%. Now that rates are going up into the high single digits, what do they have to make it a 40% credit card in order to rip people off? I really do feel for those those credit card companies. Yeah. I mean, Diners Club is gone. I mean, we could lose another one. MasterCard, Visa, we can't lose another. 
And our final story, a report states that World Heritage Site glaciers will disappear by the year 2050. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Axios, Al Jazeera, Washington Post, NewsBud, and the BBC News. A new UN report has found that some of the last remaining glaciers around the world will be lost by 2050 due to climate change. A third of the UN World Heritage Sites will see their glaciers melt away, including Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, some parts of the Alps, and Yosemite National Park in the United States. The report studied 18,600 glaciers across 50 World Heritage Sites and concluded that they have been retreating at an accelerated rate since 2000 due to CO2 emissions, which are warming temperatures. Glaciers at the sites are losing 58 billion tons of ice each year, contributing to up to 4.5% of the observed global sea level rise. The publication's lead author, Tails Carvalho, has said that only a drastic reduction in CO2 emissions will protect glaciers. Local authorities and policymakers should, he argues, focus on policies that improve monitoring and research through disaster, risk-reducing actions. Glacial melt can have devastating impacts, with Carvalho describing that as glacier lakes fill up, they can burst and can cause catastrophic floods downstream. The research comes ahead of this year's United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP27, which will be held in Egypt next week. The UNESCO Director General, Audrey Azoulay, has said in a statement that this report is a call to action. COP27 will have a crucial role to help find solutions to this issue. Other World Heritage Sites that could see glaciers disappear by 2050 include Dermator National Park in Montenegro, the Huanlong Scenic and Historical Area in China, Pyrenees Montperdu in France and Spain, and the Swiss Tectonic Arena Sardona in Switzerland. Thank you for the fact, Scott. There are three spins on this issue. The establishment critical narrative comes from Investors Business Daily. For nearly three decades, the World Climate Alarmism Organization, a.k.a. the UN, has been defrauding people on the pretext of climate change. Despite saying they only care about saving the planet and its inhabitants, what the bell ringers really care about is holding down capitalism and establishing a global welfare system. Global warming is a convenient way to prompt people into offering the UN sovereign rule. PolitiFact brings us the pro-establishment narrative. Climate scientists are often ridiculed when their predictions don't pan out exactly. The difficulty of accurately predicting results often becomes fodder for writers, critics, and bloggers who call them alarmists. In fact, climate change is still happening and is still an urgent threat. Climate scientists must be given permission to follow the scientific method as conditions change. And the nerds have the last word. From the Metaculous Prediction community, there's a 50% chance that the Thwad's eastern ice shelf will collapse by October 2026. Thank you for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Friday, November 4th, 2022. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Scott Wallace, I'm Melissa Topshire, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.